0: Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends. Welcome back to the show. Today we've got returning our favorite Lutheran from Denver, Nadia even. Okay, how many,
1: how many Lutherans do you have?
0: It doesn't matter. You're still my
1: favorite.
0: <laughs> You're easily, easily in the top five Lutherans with tattoos who crossfit. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh.
0: Okay, so uh, last weekend I was in Denver. And I was preaching at a church, the uh, Littleton Church of Christ. And I end up sitting next to your nephew in church. I were like, look over and go, hey, that's Naughty's nephew. And yeah. I meet your parents and they said, you need to come join us for, uh, for Naughty's service tonight. And I was already thinking about doing it. And next thing I know, I'm sitting in between your parents at your service. It was great. Yeah,
1: they're, they're kind of awesome. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know what your, uh, your dad said to me when I first met him? He said, that was a sermon Naughty would have preached. And I thought I only said the F word twice. I didn't. (laughs) Yeah, right. I'm kidding. (laughs) I didn't do that, Mom. I don't do that. No, (laughs) no. Uh, So you're you're joining. Say you're. This is a coffee shop. Is this the the coffee shop you talk about in the book where you do all your pastoral work? Is this a sacred one?
1: Yeah, this is uh, hooked on Colfax. It's basically my office. Yeah.
0: Is there a special Nadia spot in the coffee shop?
1: No, just whatever's
0: open. Oh, that's a shame. They should have given you something special. <laughs> yeah. So you just announced on Twitter your tour for your upcoming book. Yeah. That's yeah, exciting. Just,
1: just like two minutes ago.
0: Yeah. Tell me, uh, so what, obviously I saw that you, you're going to be in Houston, Texas, uh, and you're going to be all over the country. Yeah. So tell me, what is this, you're going to go around and talk about the new book? Yeah, so I did this with
1: Pastricks, and it was super fun. We just get, um local churches um uh to to sort of host us and I go around and I do a reading and every um I did this on the pastor's tour. Uh I also included a ham raffle. So uh I would raffle off things yeah. Because who wouldn't want to go home with a ham. You know what I'm saying? I know. Yeah I would yeah. So um I raffle off random things that I talk about in my book. So, because the readings are a little intense, um, and so I'll do a reading and then we'll take a break and do a raffle. So I get a kid from the audience to help me draw tickets. And last time I, I raffled off, um, a cassette tape of the Ramones and, um, uh, cotton candy okay. and, and then, um, a, a gift certificate to a, lo- a local tattoo shop, which is inevitably won by a 70 year old woman. Yeah, and wow, then, nice. um. And then at the end of the evening, a ham. And then um, this time, I'm I'm raffling off things I mentioned in the book, but it's a different... I'm raffling off um, a Christmas ornament that has a pious Santa kneeling at the manger, which is like my least favorite thing in the world. I talk about that in my book. (laughs) And sheet music to a little drummer boy, which I also detest. And then... um,
0: Do you just hate Christmas?
1: No, I just... No, I just hate sentimentality when it's mixed with religion. Anyway, so... And then... Uh, a Virgin Mary belt buckle,
0: of course, and yeah.
1: and then and then also a VHS copy of A Thief in the Night. So that's going to be people are going to fight for that. And then at the end of the evening, again, I will raffle off a ham.
0: Wow, it, I, I mean, I'm sure your book's great, but all those raffle items is enough reason to come to this.
1: It's really the only way I can get people to show up. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to have to drive to Houston just for the chance to get a belt buckle and a ham. See, it works. Yeah, Yeah, I'm, I'm already it? in. Yeah, so are I'm you going right. to literally drive from city to city? Is that how oh, that works? God, no, no. I'm how flying. Do you, how do you fly? I'm every, Like, is there enough time to do that? It seems like every day you're in a new city. Does that actually work?
1: Yeah, it's, it's rough. I actually told my publisher I wouldn't do it by myself again. So um, I have different girlfriends who are doing two cities apiece with me. Okay. And, and so, so that I have someone to kind of, you know, watch out for me and to make me laugh. And, <laughs> um, Cause I, I, get, I, I kind of isolate a little bit on the road. So well, um, it's, I, it, it, I'll have someone to be with me, which would be better. No, you know, it's funny. I was, like I'm totally not in like conservative Christian context usually. And I was telling some evangelicals who were friends of mine that I'm not doing a book tour by myself. And they were like, Oh, for accountability. And I'm like, what? Like, what? No, no, I just get like kind of depressed. And I was like literally. If I wanted to try to have sex with somebody when I was on the road, I wouldn't even know how to. S- I would just embarrass myself the whole mm. time trying to figure out how one would do that. Like no. evangelicals and conservative Christians are so completely obsessed with sex; it's ridiculous. And so the first thing they thought was, "Oh, is it so you don't have sex?" <laughs> like what? I don't even know how you do that. What?
0: No, well, I don't know the follow-up question of that. They didn't teach me that at podcasting <laughs> school. How <laughs> to follow up to that one? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so if you were gonna, if you were gonna be in, in Dallas, you could come work out with me. But uh, you're not gonna be here, so that's no. heartbreaking. Why didn't you pick Dallas? Why did you I go to Houston?
1: I did Dallas last time, and I wanted to do Houston this time. Oh, I don't know. Fair yeah,
0: enough. it wasn't. Yeah,
1: yeah. We'll
0: come to Houston. We'll work out. That's a long drive. That is a long drive.
1: I was the only. I actually was top the leaderboard in my gym yesterday. Uh,
0: I did. Did you get a PR on Annie yesterday?
1: oh yeah two days ago yeah two days six thir- okay. thirty-six, and then um but yesterday i was only one of two girls who could even do the, the workout rx well what, because it? it it was a ton of um heavy power cleans uh it's 43 kilos so 95 pounds and then 60 chest to bar pull-ups
0: would you told me you're good at that movement which i never would have thought someone as tall as you would be good at chest to bar but you are i'm i'm impressed.
1: And who weighs as much. I well, mean, that's like a lot well, of weight. There's no way I could say <laughs> that. There's,
0: that there's no way I could have said that part.
1: No, no. No, it doesn't bother me. I mean, no, yeah. I weigh 170 pounds. That's a lot for a girl to pull up over a bar.
0: Well, I do weigh more than you, and I. it's it's a hard movement regardless. So yeah, yeah. Uh, soon we're going to hear you say on Twitter, you got your muscle-ups down, and that will be very exciting. Oh, my
1: gosh. Are you kidding? It would end my marriage.
0: Cause, <laughs> wait, does your husband not have muscle-ups yet?
1: No. Yeah, he doesn't? No. Matter of fact, after the CrossFit opened, there was that one workout that yeah. had muscle-ups, and it was the only one neither of us could do RX. And then he tr- I'd never seen someone try so hard to get something in my life. He tried like five times that week to try and get him; He couldn't get him. Oh. And th- that Monday he woke up, he goes, oh, I had this dream I quit CrossFit. And I'm like, <laughs> why? He goes, because you love- got a muscle-up.
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. This would be outstanding. I would love to be in the gym for that day. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we talked about this. uh, uh, Let me set this up. I was out in Littleton uh, at uh, the Littleton Church of Christ, preacher in the morning, and that night I stayed around. I moved my flight back to go check out one of your services, and I was very excited that I did. And I was at the service sitting between your parents, so about 40% of the time your dad or your mom was in one of my ears telling me something, giving me running commentary on the service. (laughs) And, oh, my God, your mom is so stinking charming. My your dad's great too. Amazing. I I would, in some ways, almost prefer to talk to her than you in the podcast. Uh, nothing <laughs> personal. I really should have. I, w- I should have had my stuff and just talked to her. But uh, very ch- great service. And one yeah. of the things we said, uh, we talked about this there, and I would love for my listeners to hear what you said. But you were at a Pepperdine lectures uh, just mm-hmm. a few weeks ago or months ago, and you got to interact with your I would say alma mater. But does it count as an alma mater if you're there for like a semester?
1: Yeah, I was only there for a hot minute, and I was pretty trashed the whole time, so not really.
0: Not really. Your dad had some funny joke he told me about it, but um, in the book, I know some people, like, got to experience some of the tension that you had growing up Churches of Christ and your experience with the Churches of Christ, and in a lot of ways, it seemed like you go to Pepperdine and get this loving, glowing reception from the Churches of Christ, and it had to be, like, a great cathartic moment, right?
1: Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, it was like, I don't know, if somebody had told me I would ever circle back to having anything to do with the Church of Christ like five years ago, I'd be like, no way, never. And yet, the Holy Spirit's just mischievous and is going to move in the church the way the Spirit's going to move. And I just have, everyone's got to try and get out of the way and let it happen. And so um, I was delighted to have the invitation, but I was a little nervous. I was like, "How was it going to be received? Yeah. And I have to tell you, it ended up being one of my favorite talks I've ever given. Because I I felt really like my heart, I was just really present and my heart was open. And I, I felt the same from those who were listening. And um, I just thought it was powerful. And I think people were really open to what I had to say. And I was open to how they might receive me. And it was really beautiful, I have to say. I, I was um, I was really moved by it.
0: Mm. Oh, that's great. That's so good. Because I I hated to read that and for you to have like tension with the Church of Christ, which is definitely well-deserved. Obviously, it was, yeah. it was hard. But it's great to hear you receiving the admiration and appreciation that so many people in the Church of Christ have for you.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, had, I had no idea it was there until recently. And, I'm, you know, I'm part of this... I'm not um, very public on Facebook as as a private individual. I have, a, and there's only two Facebook groups I'm a member of, and one is the the private one for my congregation, and the other is Gal three huh. two eight, which is um, which is a really grassroots group in the in the church's price that's really working towards um, gender equality in the church. Yeah. Um, and um, I just
0: love them. It's a great group. Yeah. Oh, you you were there when uh, when Sarah. Sarah oh my didn't. gosh, that was! I'm, I'm telling you, the whole day was amazing. Right after my talk, I got to be there
1: when Sarah Barton preached an amazing sermon, and um, and I was up front, kind of with her family, and I, we'd never met face to face before, but of course we know who each other is. Yeah. And then so she came up to me, and I said, "Can I, can I just give you a blessing before you preach?" And I gave her a blessing, and it was just, it was beautiful, and she just killed it, man! She just like knocked it out of the park, and to be there, the first time a woman preached. At the lectureship was just I don't know I was um, I'm just man I'm just I'm just happy to be alive right now.
0: <laughs> That's great. So what are the chances we get you to change the name of House Raw Centers and Saints to House Raw Centers or Saints a Church of Christ Church?
1: Okay, well the funniest thing in the world was is, is that <laughs> is that um I was inter- my Cope uh, actually introduced me as he says that he considers me to be. <laughs> <laughs> the Church of Christ missionary to the
0: Lutherans. <laughs> yeah, how great is that?
1: This is hilarious,
0: yeah. Oh, that's yeah. that's too so, good. So
1: I want to hear what you thought. Like, how did you experience? What did you see at my church? Like, okay. that's a question I often ask people after the first time they go. Like, what did you see?
0: Now, do you usually get them to record it and tell everyone in the world? <laughs> no. Okay, good. Well, okay, so we go to this, uh, I go to this church. Uh, I show up a few minutes early. Your parents said I had to get there early to get a seat. Um, you just walked Yeah, in. we run out of chairs. <laughs> yeah, which they're 100% right about. And But yeah. though, to be fair, you did give out popsicles as a way to say, hey, we're glad you're here, or because it was hot, one of the two. We're
1: glad you're here, and we're sorry there's no air conditioning. <laughs> yeah, Here's a popsicle. Well done. Praise the Lord.
0: Yeah. Okay, so first thing you notice from my experience is it's in a circle around the table. So the architecture says what's most important is not the sermon, it's the table. Correct. Obviously, that's a. You made that decision. You wanted to go that direction with your church.
1: Very intentional. Yes.
0: Why? Why did you want to do that?
1: Well, for a couple of reasons. One is like you know, a lot of people are sort of in this millennial culture are very suspicious of institutions, mm-hmm. and they're very suspicious of people presuming to have authority. And so, if you go to a traditional church, approximately one third of the physical space is for the two special people who get to stand up front facing everyone else. Mm-hmm. So. Um, it really is um, a holdover from my Church of Christ upbringing, I would say, because of this um, sort of democratization of mm. leadership in the church, right? So, um, because of that, we wanted to democratize the space as well um, so that it, people didn't walk in and go, Well, why do two people get a third of the space, you mm. know, and everyone else gets all the rest? So, and we wanted to show that the table is. Both literally and metaphorically, at the center of our lives together.
0: But you do know that, like you and I in our respective churches, are the ones who get the thirty percent. It works out in our favor to give us the space. Did you know that? Like you, you could have more space and make it the Nadia show.
1: Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> no. danger,
0: danger. That doesn't sound right. <laughs> oh, okay, now I, I know.
1: Mean, like this is something that people are sometimes surprised by because. I have this big personality, and I'm a public figure, is they're often surprised by how little of me there is in the service.
0: Yeah. You you didn't even preach uh, on Sunday. Uh, Reagan, is that his name? Reagan, yeah. Which he preached a good sermon. He made an insight about uh, Jairus' daughter and then the woman who's bleeding for 12 years. I never picked picked up that she had been bleeding for 12 years, the same age as the girl. Great insight. He tied that together. Uh, He did a good job. But it was... Probably like a 12-minute sermon, right?
1: Yeah, that's standard.
0: Yeah. And so yeah. I know I know that is a tradition. As a preacher, I know you like to talk. I know you're a speaker. Do you ever feel like, mm, 12 minutes, maybe I should talk a little bit more?
1: Um, very rarely. Very rarely do I feel that. Because I, I just believe in economy of language. And my sermons, are um, they're very compact. Mm -hmm. And so I don't, I don't make the same point over and over in three different illustrations. I hit it and move on, you know? So, um, and it's like too tempting for it to become about me or about the preacher when it kind of goes on and on and on. So, um, also in a way that, that portion of the liturgy that's called the word where it's the reading, you know, the the readings from Scripture. We read a lot of Scripture out loud. We sing the Psalms. And then the sermon, the other part of that is open space, which is that 10-minute period. So for as much time as I'm talking, people have to sort of reflect and respond and then to write the prayers that are going to be read later in the service. So in a way, the sermon is 20, 25 minutes long. It's just there's only a preacher talking for half of that.
0: Why do you think that in many of like the mega churches we see across America, it's involves a preacher talking for 25, 30 minutes. And w- w- what do you think is going on behind that? That makes that so appealing to so many people.
1: Um, I don't know. I find it tedious. I, I have no idea. I, I, I rarely hear a preacher. I want to preach for that long, but, um, but that's Lutherans. I mean, Lutherans preach for a, a shorter amount of time. That's just part of the tradition. So, um, you know, there is just always this temptation for church to be about the pastor. And I just think it's easier for that not to happen if the sermons are shorter.
0: Yeah. No, so. I mean, you can't go to that service and think it's it's the Nadia show.
1: Oh, my God, no. Of course not. No, it's their church. Yeah.
0: And that's communicated there. You had um, some sign-up of, you know, people had to do something for next month, and you needed five or six volunteers. And your dad leans over and says, just as someone's announcing they're saying hey, we need people to fill out and do this. And you had some bid about you might not want to, but you need to do it or something. And your dad says, they're going to have this all filled up by the end of the service. Hey, and he was 100%... To,
1: yeah, yeah, for real. Okay, so um, the, we, the, the line we like to say is like, look, doing cleanup for a month might not be your joy, but it just might be your turn. <laughs> so um, <laughs> yeah. all of our commitments are like... Um, very short so we're sort of like a we're a high commitment low obligation church Hmm. so it's not um so it's like hey can you help out to do this thing just for this month and then people are more apt to to do it you know because we have a lot of young adults and they don't want these sort of long-term ongoing obligations but they're willing but they're committed to the church and are willing to do work if it's set up in a way that's conducive to who they are that's why we don't have a committee system
0: Hmm. Right. Yeah. So,
1: if if we we have what's called a liturgy guild, which is whoever shows up when I say let's have a liturgy guild meeting, meaning if we um if we're gonna plan Ash Wednesday and the Sundays in Lent, for instance, I'll say let's have a liturgy guild meeting, and typically about twenty people will voluntarily give away three hours of their Saturday to plan Ash Wednesday and the Sundays in Lent. Hmm. And this last year, it was including three people who had never been to an Ash Wednesday service. Really? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so. Um, if I'd gone to my community and said I need a standing committee of eight people to uh, be on the worship committee it's an hour and a half meeting the second Tuesday of every month and it's a year long commitment I would have zero people no. so I think a lot of times we're looking at this sort of millennial culture and the way it's different and go oh well people aren't committed or they, they don't care about doing work to make community happen and that's not true it's just that we've inherited um, systems of, of being
0: church that don't work anymore yeah huh okay let's talk about the table so yeah. that, that's the center of your architecture it's a centerpiece of your service it's always it seems like it's pointing towards there and first of all you get to do some really cool hand motions which i never get to do in the church uh, oh when i preside at yeah, the table yeah oh. I, I don't get to do the cool <laughs> hand motions i would really like to figure out who i need to talk to to get the ability to do that yeah, man,
1: that's that's a, that's a lot of years in Lutheran seminary right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's. Um, I mean, people have been saying these words of institution at the table. Have been recalling the night that Jesus was betrayed. People have been gathering around a table, and 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 telling the night of Jesus' betrayal and handing out. Bread and wine to each other, and saying, "This is Jesus' body and blood, and it's for forgiveness of sins, and it's for you." Mm-hmm. Since, since Jesus was around, like that, that's just yeah. what we do, and and that will can no matter if denominations fail and churches close, people will still gather in the name of the Triune God yeah. and hold up bread and tell that story and give it to their friends and say it's for forgiveness and it's for you. Yeah. So, I mean, this is the central thing that Christians do.
0: So, that morning when I was at your parents' church. We took communion, and yeah. tray was passed, cup was ca- passed, and I took it, passed it actually to your nephew who's sitting right next to me, who yeah. informs me, I'm not baptized, so I'm not going to take it. For some reason, he, he wanted to tell me that, which I'm glad to know, Jackson, and okay. then he passes it down. And so the whole thing is, I'm sitting in my seat, someone hands me a tray, I pass it right on down. Right. Your service, people are literally getting up, they're walking, to you, yeah. To was it four people, two or four people that were administering... Eucharist. There's a total
1: of nine people who are serving the Eucharist. Yeah.
0: Oh, because you had one with the bread we had and one. Three,
1: three stations. Yeah.
0: And so they go to these different people. What do you think? Right. Just the act of actually getting up, walking, compared to sitting at your at your seat and someone handing you a little wafer and a little cup.
1: Well, to me, there's this thing about receiving it rather than taking it, right? So when you walk up, you extend your hands and you receive it from somebody who looks you in the eye and says, Child of God, the body of Christ given for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. So there, there's a couple of times, in, yeah, there, there's a,
0: a few times
1: in the Lutheran liturgy where those words, for you, are so central. Uh, one is in the absolution. So we always have a confession and absolution at the beginning of the liturgy. And it's so important that the words like, your sins are forgiven. God forgives your sins. You are forgiven. Hmm. That direct address is so important. And so another time is when you're receiving the Eucharist. You go to like an Episcopal church and they might hand you it and say, "Um, the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. I'm like, well, that's, that's a lovely descriptor. Is it for me? Like, I want someone to say, look look at me and go, this is for you, hmm. right? And then the other time, hopefully, is somewhere in the preaching that there is some sort of um, gospel that is for you. This means it's for you. There's enough, like Reagan's sermon, there is enough healing to go around for you and for others, right? In yeah. some way, there's a direct address that, that has to do with, here's God's gracious action upon us, and it's for you whereas what you know what i've said many times is what passes for preaching in most contexts is some version of here's the problem and here's what you should be doing about it that's hmm. not good news yeah that's a, that's leaving with another to do list that's not good news good news has to do with here's who god is and what god has done on your behalf and it's real and it's for you now that you're free what what are you going to do yeah that's totally different right?
0: okay so you've said that you're just a long grace preacher. I've heard you say that before, and I know that's long, go, yep. long, long gospel. Long gospel. Yep. See, I'm not Lutheran. I don't talk that's like fair. that. But that's a Lutheran thing. So, can you explain to me how that service was long gospel, like mm-hmm. on Sunday night? I know you weren't preaching, but yeah. Do you think?
1: It w- well, um, as soon as we gather, um, we confess our sins. Like we gather okay. and we go, you know. The, the confession. I wrote um, some of the liturgical texts in that bluegrass liturgy we did, and um, and it says, "Let us confess that God is God and we are not." Hmm. Right. So then we say, "Look, we failed to love our neighbors as ourselves, and we and we haven't done everything we should." So we sort of go, "Look, the laws convicted us. We have failed to per- perfectly uphold whatever is convicting our conscience at the moment." Right. Mm-hmm. And then and then somebody says. Look, God is gracious and merciful, and slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and loves you as you are. And you are so completely and totally forgiven. You have to remember that you are forgiven. Like you, you are not defined by what you failed to do, what you've done or failed to do. You're, you're defined by the love of God who claimed you. Mm -hmm. So, um, so you just start with long gospel right away, right? And so. So then it it builds to this, you know, and even in the Eucharistic prayer, I say, you know, on the night when he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus gathered with his faltering friends for a meal that tasted of freedom, right? Mm -hmm. So it's even saying... Amongst this broken humanity, which were his friends, right? I mean, his friends failed him. His friends betrayed him. Not just people who lived later and heard the story. We're talking the people who loved him most couldn't couldn't live up to anything. They couldn't be the people they wanted to be, right? Yeah. And and then Jesus goes, you know, this is my body. It's for you. It's for forgiveness of sins. This is real, right? And then hopefully, in the in the in the preaching, there's some sort of message of. Like here's the way in which we are we're sort of we we fail. Here's here's the way we fail, and here's the way God saves us anyway, right? Yeah. So um, the whole thing is is long gospel to me.
0: Yeah. Hmm. That's good. I I've, I like the uh, the confessional part. That's yeah. not something that in my tradition that I do a whole lot in the church I'm a part of. We don't do that. And I, I really liked what what that does. It puts you in a position where you're saying, yeah, I don't have this all figured out. Right. I've got problems and it kind of is a, in some ways like I always feel like the table is a leveling field totally but so does confession confession is totally. the same thing
1: yeah confession it draws us to the foot of the cross and where the ground is level right? yeah so um, and yeah. so uh, yeah confession that, that my whole talk at Pepperdine was about confession and absolution the whole thing
0: Yeah.
1: so yeah it's pretty pretty critical
0: <laughs> it's kind of a big I deal
1: mean, yeah and Jesus talked about forgiveness of sins like all the time. People, I mean, that, he got in trouble for that, right? Who are you to forgive sins? you talked about forgiveness of sins constantly, and I'm like, why, why doesn't the church do that?
0: Hmm. Yeah, it seems like it's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay, so I also like that uh, service ends, people pick up chairs, and they turn this into a potluck Sunday. Yeah. Is that... A quarterly thing, a monthly thing. How often does no. that happen?
1: Yeah, every other week we have a meal together. Once, yeah. once, once a month it's a potluck, and once a month it's a community meal. So, several people in the congregation volunteer to cook for everyone. Hmm. So, but we we gather and eat together after liturgy almost every other week. Yeah.
0: Why do you? Why have you kind of created that as part of the routine for your church?
1: oh my gosh, because breaking bread together again, that's what Christians do. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the Christian life is you gather around tables and you break bread with people who you don't get to choose out of a catalog.
0: Yeah, yeah true. So as I'm seeing like, what you've done as pastoring, starting this church, you haven't taken the opportunity to create a mega church. You've, in a lot of ways, pushed against that and you've tried to create this in some ways, it feels like a small church, partly because the Sunday I was there, you guys were doing bluegrass music, and mm-hmm. that just feels like a small country church to me because <laughs> I've done country church, and it sounded <clears throat> like that. Ocasala, yeah, of course. Yeah. So you, is that a fair read on what you've done? Is it seems like you're intentionally going? Correct. Because Jesus yeah. never goes to the big cities in his ministry, yeah. and it seems like you aren't trying to create a big religious city.
1: No, my gosh, no, no, no. I mean, we, we intentionally are staying small. Now, um, we're, we're happy to, you know, train, train seminarians and send them out. So the, the way church growth has happened at House for All Sinners and Saints is that, you know, my intern from two, three years ago started a church in Rochester, New York. My intern from two years ago started a church in Austin. Um, we have people, tomorrow I'm preaching at the ordination of Asher, um, who yeah, I read about in pastors yeah. yeah and um, so Asher's going and serving them We've had all these people going to seminary so I mean that's that's what church growth looks like for us yeah man if, if like if my ego demanded uh, a bigger like if I wanted to build bigger and bigger barns I could do that absolutely could do that if that's what I wanted and it's not at all what I want because I want to be their preacher and I don't know how to be their preacher. If I don't know their stories and I can't know that many stories, you know, like I need to know their sin. I need to know their challenges and I just, I can't be their preacher if I don't know them.
0: You said you don't have the ego that, that requires you to do that. Do you, th- do you think that's behind some of the reasons people like me want to have like big churches and preachers like me that want to like have a big audience that you think it's, it's ego? I don't think
1: actually ego is definitely is is always a negative thing. To tell you the truth, I think there are ways that um, that it can function in a positive way. But um, it, it's it's hard to see these sort of big figures of megachurches as pastors. To mm-hmm. tell you the truth, um, they're they're sort of you know um, stars instead. Um, I I I don't know. Do you know? Are they? Do they know people's stories? Are they going and doing private confession and absolution or sort of showing up in the broken parts of people's lives? Probably not. And that, to me, that's that's what a parish pastor is. So um, I don't know. It's not to say they're not pastors. It's just it, it's hard to see it as really the same thing.
0: I, I like what you circle back to. It's like knowing the stories. <clears throat> and yeah, one of the things for me, like as a, as a church planner, a church a little smaller than yours, I know everyone's story at my church. And when Mm -hmm. I get up to talk about, you know, people dealing with, you know, the junk from their family, I can probably go to each person in the room and say, I know exactly what your family drama is. And I know what this looks like for you. And doesn't it change how you preach? Doesn't it change how you lead when you know the stories?
1: Of course. And also they know me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm known by them. I'm, I'm, I'm like loved by the people in my church. They, they love me. And, um, they don't, but they don't admire me.
0: Do you know what I mean? It's different. Yeah. What do you mean by that? What do you mean they don't admire you?
1: Um, I mean, I guess, I mean, they might, they, I think they appreciate what I have to offer, but there's, but there's no pedestal at all. Not even vaguely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They're unimpressed by, I mean, no, it, they know me too well. I mean, they, they've they've had to be in a position of forgiving me for totally screwing the pooch or disappointing them. Or, um, I don't know. They,
0: I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So <clears throat> I don't know how to say this, And it is, this is going to come out weird, but every time I travel, I get a lot of people like to travel, speak at somewhere. I don't know. I get a, a certain response where people are very appreciative and they're, you know, encouraging sure. about how well, you know, whatever. And it's very yeah. nice and grateful. Uh, at my church, like, it never, it doesn't happen like that. Because Correct. Because <laughs> it's not like you're not, oh, this guy who comes in and speaks right. and, and gives That's you. Right. It's like yeah. they know you, and so they don't, like, you don't do that to your friends. Right. But you That's do that exactly to someone right. you don't know.
1: That's right. Yeah, same with me. I get a lot of that on the road, but not in, in my parish, I get, like, People hugging me and being like, "Oh my gosh, we missed you last week. So glad you're back. Like, you know, did you get some rest? <laughs> you
0: know hmm. what
1: I mean? like, yeah. Um, or you look tired, or um, you know, whatever. Like, I'm just known um, ah. in, in a completely different way. I mean, it, it, being a public figure is a tricky thing, and um, and it and it can be really very toxic in so many ways, and so. I, I um, the thing I realized is like my fans and my detractors are passionate people, and um, and equally distant from the truth of who I am.
0: Hmm.
1: So, um, what what people who are like kind of like my fans have to say about me, or what my detractors have to say about me, neither of those things are reliable sources of information about myself to myself. You
0: know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah,
1: I can't I can't I can't really listen to either thing because it's just not accurate in the way that information about myself that's coming from people in my actual life people who really know me that's different
0: and so you're a pastor who 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 gets experience at a church i i grew up hearing some people say you can't have real friends at church you've got to have friends outside of the church so you can be real and vulnerable and honest with them because you can't do that at church but that's not your experience at, at house
1: no, it is my experience at house. Okay. I mean, it, it, that, I mean, they're not my friends. I mean, I have a couple people who I have kind of have a friendship with. I do not get my emotional needs met in church, and I don't. I don't do. And my social life is not with my church. Huh. Um, I, I. But I'm. But I'm still known and loved there. But not in a way where, like, hey, if I'm like really upset about something and needing support, I'm not going to go to someone in my church. Why is it just that? Creates Creates a weird dynamic. They need to. I need to make sure that no matter what, their need comes before mine because I hold an office in that community. I hold it as a person, like who has their own stuff going on and who can be known and loved. But but I have to take seriously that that office. So um, oh, I don't get my emotional needs met through the church. It gets too messy. Hmm.
0: Yeah. That makes. I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense because people you want to have a pastor. You want to have someone who's a pastor. Right. And sometimes when you are too authentic, it removes the ability for people to see you as a pastor. You think, is that a fair right. take?
1: Yeah, I think so. It's more like, um, you know, I don't know how to put it. I guess um, I, I can tell you a story. And that is that um, when when I first started the church, I, I really, um, I The thing I had the least and wanted the most in my life was like a group of friends. Like I had really good individual friendships, but I wanted like to be part of a group of friends. And there was this group that um, that gathered early on in the life of this church that I got along with so well, and I had so much fun with, and I loved them, and I loved hanging out with them. And starting the church was my like big project in life, right? This was my Mm -hmm. thing, and in order for it to be successful, people had to show up. And the biggest stressful the biggest stress factor in my life was people not showing up, right? I mean, it's yeah. so hard to be a church planter, as you know. And so um, I had this group of friends, and I I interacted with, with them like friends, right? But then a couple of them stopped coming for different reasons. And I was, like, so hurt that people who were, like, my, quote, friends were now contributing to the biggest stress in my life, which is people not showing up to church. I couldn't go to them and go, I'm hurt you're not coming to church because I was the pastor, yeah. <laughs> supposedly the pastor. And I have a spiritual director, and I was talking to her about this. And I just had this realization like, oh, my gosh, this this church I've started, it's not for me. Hmm. It's not for me. And on some level, I was terrified that what if, what if the only reason I was so devoted to it and worked so hard was that on some level... It felt like it was for me. It was meeting my needs, right? Mm. Then, um, and then now that I realize it can't, it's not for me, and it can't be for me. What, what if I don't care anymore? What if I just phone it in? You know. No. And I, I had to sit with that for a while. And like a month later, when I met with her, I said, "I'm all in," and I know it's not for me. And I'm all in. And that, I feel like truly that was the day I became the pastor. That's the day I really became the pastor of that church. And it was like two I years in or something. Um, so a, knowing yeah. this work I'm doing is for them. Now, am I fed by it? Yeah, I get fed by it. I love worship there. I love the people. But it, it was only maybe a year and a half ago that I really allowed myself to realize that they loved me. Not not that I would ever have said, I don't think they love me, right? But it was like a year and a half ago that I, I allowed that in a little more and more. Like they kept changing me and the shape of my heart in a way. and. It was, yeah, a year and a half ago that I started realizing these people loved me. They, you know, and in that, I don't know, it softened me in a way.
0: Huh. Is there any way that you would help someone illuminate if they are doing church for them instead of for their Mm. people? Is there any way that, like, you could look and go, oh, this is a sign that maybe you're doing it for you, not for them?
1: I don't know. Maybe, like, look at where your resentments are. Hmm. Like, what what do you end up resenting and why? Who do you end up resenting and why? That might be a a good sort of place to look.
0: Okay, so like the typical church person, they're going to be resentful of, like, their critics, like the people who criticize them or oppose what they're doing. How would that, like, how would that illuminate Hmm. if they're doing it for them?
1: Well, then it's like, is the satisfaction your, your, is your satisfaction in the fact that you're pleasing everyone, right? I mean, is it like are you doing it so that you can feel like, wow, I've done my job because everyone's happy with me, right? Yeah. I, I don't know that that's the call.
0: So you you think if, if you get to the place where church, you understand as a pastor it's not for you, mm. you don't need the people for your satisfaction, and you can mm. distance yourself? I don't, have you read, um, what is it, uh, uh, Friedman did that emotionally, what is it called, um, The Well-Differentiated Leader? you ever
1: no, but I've heard people talk about it, and it seems like those are, are very useful concepts, yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, the idea, like, you, you have to have differentiation from your church and not let that be your identity, and that, right. th- that makes totally. a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, and for years, I felt every single thing that happened or didn't happen, I everyone who showed up or didn't show up. And, and it's truly not like that anymore. No. You know, I'm, I'm not personally, like, in my body feeling every single thing that happens there. There's some distance, which yeah. I think is
0: good. Well, as you're talking about, like, the, the biggest fear of a church planner is no one shows up. And when I first planted this church, it took me a couple of years to get over, okay, how can I be fully present if there aren't enough people, quote-unquote, present for me to really feel happy about myself? And I used to chant this mantra every, every Sunday morning. I would say, even if the seats are full, may my heart be empty. And I was, mm-hmm. you know, like working the 12-step program in my heart, just saying that over and over again, like seats are empty, may my heart be full. And it really became a freeing part where I feel like even if people didn't show up, as many as I think should be there, whatever number that is, I could still be fully present. Because mm-hmm. I feel like I did some sort of work and it, it got me to a different place that I wasn't at before I started this thing.
1: Oh man, that's so hard. It's so hard. I one of my things is I I like to talk to church planters and tell them, here's how it felt when I was planting a church, so that they don't feel crazy or you know yeah. <laughs> or weird. Yeah. Like, hey, all these things you're feeling, that's normal. You know, I mean, I I felt like. Every Sunday, it felt like I was throwing my own birthday party and waiting to see who liked me enough to show up. And then, like, honest to God, every Sunday, right? And then every Sunday, I'd feel that. And then I'd be like, wait, it's not about me. It's supposed to be about God. And then I'd feel worse because I felt that. You're ashamed that you
0: felt that way. Oh, my goodness. That is too funny. Like, you're throwing your own birthday party. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I completely understand that. It's
1: awful. It's awful. And, I mean, I don't. I don't know anyone who didn't feel that. You know, it's just the way it is. Yeah. It's it's not it's not that it's a horrible. It's not that it, there's no way to not be there. It's a terrible place to stay.
0: Yeah. You
1: know. What I mean? But uh, we've all traveled through it. We've yes. all driven through that place. You
0: know. Well, hopefully you continue to drive and you don't park and stay there. And, exactly. Oh and my something, gosh. but think about it. if for me, like if I planned this church and had like this Stephen Furtick, you, you plan a church and it becomes a, a gazillion people right there. I never would have done the work to be at peace if people don't show yeah. up for my birthday party.
1: That's right. Yeah, totally.
0: That's so some, the hardest
1: thing I ever did. People are like, do you think Do you think they'll plant another church? I'm like, oh, good Lord. No, no, no. I have one in me. That one almost killed me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a young person's game anyway. I can't
0: do it again. <laughs> yeah, you've got to be young and dumb to plant a church. Yeah.
1: yeah, and have a station wagon. That's mostly what you need.
0: <laughs> well, in Texas, you've got to have a truck. You can a truck. The truck, yeah, that's, that's right. right. A truck, yeah. Cool. Well, hey, this has been fun. Uh, did I answer your question? I feel like you asked me about your church, and I don't know if I ever answered any question you had.
1: Well, I'd, no, I'd be interested a little more, like what what else you saw when you were there. I mean, it's obviously so different than what you're used to. So, yeah. What did you what did, What else did you see?
0: Well, well, for one, there's more gay people there than at most churches I've been a part of, and I didn't go like interview and ask people, "Are you gay?" Your dad just said there's thirty or forty percent. And there's something like going to a church that's all white, and you go, "This doesn't represent the demographic of people in my community." So something doesn't yeah. feel right, right when the ethnicity doesn't match your surrounding, and yeah. when church is always people you assume to be heterosexual, right. it seems like there's something that it's lacking there. Like it, you know, there is a, a part of your community that you are not connecting with, and that was that was eye opening for me. It was it was definitely a, an experience I thought church should reflect the sexuality of your culture and have yeah. people with whatever orientation there. And right. so that that was interesting to me. Um, well,
1: did you ever see the video that people in my church made? It's called We Are the Church. You yeah. can you can look for it and it, and it was just queer people saying like, "Look, we're not we're not, hey baby, how are you?" Oh, hi. doing a little Skype interview. Oh no. Nice. You want to say hi? This is Rick Stranloff. I I wrote
0: about I wrote about him in <laughs> post- in pastor. Yeah, good to see you, Rick. How are we doing? <laughs> Rick's Internet amazing. At my house, so I have
1: to oh, funny. Like, okay. All right. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. you. Love, Love you. Too. Are you coming to the yeah, ordination? Yeah. Okay. All
0: right. Bye. See, she she's um. a, a woman of the people. She's just pastoring <laughs> all day long.
1: Yeah. Um, Rick's doing great. I mean, he's just he's oh my gosh, Rick's doing really well. Um, anyway, what was are saying. Oh yeah, the video. So, it, like, it, you know, all these conferences or these churches or whatever they're having convert these brave conversations about you know the issue of homosexuality or whatever and so i just you know i did that video for the nines where they wanted how does your church deal with the issue of homosexuality and i just gave all the time over to queer people in my church who were like oh sorry we're not an issue we're the church Hmm. we are the church like Hmm. we're not we're not an issue for you to make decisions about we're your brothers and sisters in christ we're part of the body So, um, it was just five minutes of people introducing themselves as, as, Hey, we're, we're, we're actually part. We are the body of Christ. We're not a group that's waiting for you to decide whether we we're worthy to be a part of you. We are the church already.
0: And there's your impulse to democratize the church again. Like they want you to speak and instead you let your church speak.
1: Yeah, I do that a lot. I mean, like when the SCOTUS ruling came out, Sojourners said, hey, could we have a quote from you? And so I went on my church's Facebook group and I said, what do you want me to say? And I pulled a quote from someone and I quoted them. Hmm. So, yeah, man, you got to, I mean, that's the way it works nowadays. You can't, I mean, you can't be this sort of, you, you can't be this pastor that's like, everything's about you you it doesn't people don't respect it and it doesn't work and i, I don't feel comfortable with it hmm. i'm suspicious of myself i'm very suspicious of myself so i try to create situations in which i i you know have a little accountability or you know what i mean or other voices are present or whatever otherwise I, it's like it would become a heart of darkness situation really quickly if i didn't
0: have hmm. that impulse i think there, it's almost like there's something in the bible about the priesthood of all believers which you actually believe yeah yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, the funny thing is that Martin Luther coined that term, but the, but the Church of Christ lives that out so much more. Well, the priesthood of all believers with a penis, you know. But, uh, but, I thought we were going <laughs> to
0: go through the whole conversation without something. Without me
1: saying penis?
0: Well, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Without the gender thing.
1: <laughs> I'm just telling it like it is. I mean, but there is <laughs> no, something, something was, about yeah. – it was like any, any – Male member of the church, you know, who's baptized can lead the prayer, can do this or can do that, right? Yeah. So you know, it's better than only one person can do it. You that way, at least, only half the people can do it. You know, but
0: um, the percentage is going up. It's going up. The percentage is going up. Yeah. yeah.
1: So um, so the irony is like, yeah, Martin Luther coined that term, but you see it more that that sort of democratization of leadership in the church practiced in in the Church of Christ among the male members. Mm-hmm. So um, that was that was something I feel like I brought from my tradition as well. Yeah. As well as the singing, man. you got to talk about the singing at my church. Well,
0: it was it was a bluegrass. It wasn't the acapella, which your dad said, you know, the, the acapella is so good. And you did one song mm-hmm. that I – you went acapella on one song, right?
1: Yeah, during communion.
0: Yeah. And so everyone's in a round, and so they're facing each other, which yeah. I, I've got a friend in, in Farmer's Branch, like North Dallas. His church, it's not around, but it is – it's like you look at people when you're singing, yeah. and that is like doubled down at your church, which I really get how yeah. the singing can be really good.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, it's just people – it's like sitting in the middle of a 200-person choir. <sighs> yeah.
0: yeah, it was neat. And
1: yeah, so- I, d- I never understood that thing that, like, Lutherans and other mainline Protestants do where they – they remove all the good singers from the congregation and seat them somewhere else. Yeah. What are you doing? you yeah. Should be
0: in the in the community. We, with my little, uh, the church I grew up in in rural southeast Ohio. There was one lady who oh. was uh, a soprano who would kill. Like there was one song that had like this real high part, and everyone would kind of just like turn and watch this lady in this you know four hundred member church because she was going to hit the note, and she was the only one yeah. who could. And there's yeah. something like really charming about that. It's like totally. we're all here together.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: I mean, yeah. I say that in the church. I started as, as instrumental, so I've, I, I really haven't yeah. been that committed to how charming it is.
1: But <laughs> well, conceptually, but, I get it. But, I mean, even even though we do that bluegrass service maybe half a dozen times a year, um, still the primary musical expression of the church was the, were the voices, the people. Yeah. Like, there's it, there's not all this amplification of the instruments, so that's mainly what you hear, right? No. It just sort of supported it. So, um yeah I, I mean I do think the voices of the people again, the democratization of it, not like here's a professional organist, and mostly what you'll hear is them, and feel free to sing along if you want hmm. or here's a band of six people who are going to perform for you and they're, they'll handle the music and if you know the words and you happen to you know feel like singing along, knock yourselves out, but it's not it's like inconsequential yeah. you know
0: well you so, I mean this this commitment to the democratization of church is carried out. Completely, your church. I mean, you completely experience that at house. It's there,
1: and but but I'm still the pastor. Like I'm I'm you know Reagan and I are the ones who. Wear the collar and the stole, and we, pres- you know, I'm the one who presides at the Eucharist. So there are a couple yeah. things that are reserved, a couple things. But I think that, you know, some are called to be teachers and some apostles and some yeah. pastors. And it's like, we're the ones called to be pastors. So we have this little part we do, and then the rest is done by everyone else. Hmm. You know?
0: Is that, uh, what is the, the little green thing you wore? A stole? Is that what it's called? A stole. Mm-hmm. That's pretty sweet. I would love to get it's one like, of those. It's
1: like, it's like, represents the, the yoke, you know? If, it's okay. Like, say,
0: if if I was a Lutheran, hypothetically, mm-hmm. could I preach with uh, a sleeveless preacher shirt with a little collar on? Do they make those for guys? Because <laughs> My- I would like to go suns out, guns out when I preach too. Is that possible?
1: Um, mine was mine was kind of a custom made thing, but <laughs> yeah, man, you could.
0: You can find whatever you want. <laughs> oh, that's too funny! I um, yeah, that's that's outstanding. It was it was a lot of fun being at your service. And one thing I really appreciated is that we had to get a picture afterwards, so we took a selfie. And when people are like seven feet taller than me and they stoop down to my level to make the picture not look awkward, I think there's a special place in heaven for you when you do that. So thank you. I, happy happy to serve. <laughs> I took a picture with this Pentecostal preacher named Jonathan Martin, who's extremely talented, and he's like he's Goliath and I look like his sixth grade son next to him. And so it looks really awkward. So thank you for not making that happen again.
1: Oh, uh, I appreciate it. Hey, yeah. um, it, would you, would you say a little prayer for me after this? Uh, cause I have to write that sermon for the ordination. So oh, if you wow. could say a little prayer for my process, I'd appreciate it. We'll
0: that. do. Is that, that's Thursday. Is that today? That's tomorrow night? Yeah. tomorrow night. It's the
1: first, uh, Asher who I wrote about in. Yeah,
0: Asterix I met him. Yeah. I met him. Yeah. Being
1: ordained. It's the first, uh, openly transgender person. Um, Ordained by the Lutheran Church, so it's wow. in. Yeah, tomorrow night, really exciting. He's a, oh my gosh, a beautiful theologian. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad he's going to be a pastor.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. not this has been a blast. Thanks for talking. Yeah,
1: it, come back anytime.
0: And uh, we'll uh, we'll make sure to get the word about your book out when it comes out in uh, two or three months. Sep-
1: September eighth.
0: Sounds good. Yeah,
1: people can pre-order it now.
0: So. Oh, they can. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll put yeah. a link on my site then. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. We'll make it happen. All right. Thanks, brother. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.